Welcome to Recovery Corner, where the many pathways of recovery intersect. We believe that recovery should be defined by each individual on their own unique journey. We also welcome allies of recovery to the conversation as we know that substance use disorder impacts our entire communities, not only the people experiencing addiction. This is a space where you will hear personal stories of triumph in recovery, gain insights into various recovery-oriented systems, and learn how leaders across the country are building recovery-ready communities. Recovery Corner is brought to you by Young People in Recovery, otherwise known as YPR. YPR is a recovery support service organization that engages people in and seeking recovery, as well as allies of the recovery movement to take a stand for recovery. Welcome back to Recovery Corner. I'm your host, Candice Rose. Uh, I'm really excited to have my colleague, Brendan Homaker, joining me today as co-host. Welcome to the show, Brendan. Thank you, Candice. Uh, yeah, we're very excited to have a panel joining us for today's uh, episode of Recovery Corner. We would like to welcome Mark Kandujani, Mackenzie Roberts, Dina Shell Pascal, and Charlotte Whitney. Uh, first, we will give uh, each panel member a few seconds to introduce themselves before we start in the discussion. So would Mark Kandujani start by sharing what organization you're with and why you've gotten involved in working in recovery. Thanks, yeah, good to be here. Um, my name is Mark Anajani. I'm the Director of Adult Treatment and Recovery at the State Office of Behavioral Health. Uh, we're in the Department of Human Services. Um, I've, been, uh, I've been in this field for a long time, uh, and, and I, I started a, a few different ways, but, um, you know, I've enjoyed a career of, of trying to help people uh, find their way, uh, find healing uh, when they've, they've experienced hardships in their life. Awesome. Thanks for sharing with us, Mark. And would Dina Shell Pascal please introduce herself? Absolutely. It's your girl, Dina Shell Pascal from Houston, Texas, Young People and Recovery Chapter. Um, one of the reasons why I'm an ally in recovery is because disorders is a um is a thing for, for my family and, and friends. And I'm, I'm here to help people um, break those cycles of how we communicate and how we deal and how we help each other on a long-term recovery journey. And just being that ally, that friend, that resource to those who are on a recovery journey. Beautiful. Thanks for uh, joining us today, Dina Shell. And last on our panel is Mackenzie Roberts. Please go ahead and introduce yourself. Hi, uh, thanks, Brendan. My name's Mackenzie, and I'm the chapter lead of the South Bend, Indiana chapter. Um, I technically got into this work professionally um, in January of this year, um, but I've been doing this work personally, I think, in my mind for a bit longer than that. Um, I got into this basically because, like a lot of other allies, people in recovery, I have many uh, family members and friends who are in long-term recovery um, or in active addiction. And for 
most of my life I was a child at this time. Um, I was a child of someone who was in active addiction for many years. And at that time, I felt very powerless to help or contribute or um, advocate for the cause. And so now that I'm um, an adult and thankfully working with YPR, I'm able to um, sort of take some of the knowledge and the skills that I have to actually make a difference and help people who are seeking and in long-term recovery. Beautiful. Thank you, Mackenzie. Um, yeah, I feel like I forgot to mention that, of course, today's theme is all about allies, allies in recovery. So thanks for talking about that, Mackenzie. Um, so I'll turn it back over to Candace Rose to ask our first question, I think, for one of our panelists. Yeah, thank you, Brendan, and thank you, everybody, for the introductions. Uh, it really means a lot to have allies in this space helping really, like, uh, push the needles in the recovery movement. So uh, thanks for the work that you do. Um, so being uh, Dina, Shell, and Mackenzie, that you work as allies with young people in recovery, I'm curious, what are your goals for your communities? Go ahead, Mackenzie. Yeah, sure. I can take this first. Um, I think one of the first goals that I have for um, at least the South Bend community specifically is just reducing stigma um, for a variety of different groups of people, certainly for people um, who are in active addiction, people who use substances, um, but also for people in recovery, um, and then people who may or may not be affected by substance use, but who um, are houseless or dealing with financial burdens or other um, other social issues like that. So definitely stigma all around. I think it's, it's important to talk about, especially as allies in recovery. I think that's one area where allies can be particularly helpful in this movement. Um, and then also just moving away from punishment and punitive measures in general and towards more treatment. Um, and, you know, YPR has this framework of creating recovery ready communities. Um, and I think moving the needle um, in all of those different areas, whether housing, employment, criminal justice, treatment, um, moving those needles towards uh, improvement in those areas is super important for me. Um, so yeah, stigma, moving the needle in those areas and generally just educating people about what recovery means and how positive it can be for people. For myself um, and my community here in Houston, one of the things definitely is reducing the stigma as McKenzie is also working on and just to show the people that hey recovery doesn't look one kind of way active addiction doesn't look one kind of way however there are resources for you however there's still life to live for you and so out on top of you know just reducing the stigma and letting people know hey there's there's different um there's different characteristics to this thing and and there's also still life to live i want to make 
recovery as as fun and as open as possible, as inclusive as possible. Like, listen, you come here, you have a good old time. We're going to talk about it. We're going to struggle together. We might cry together. But you know what? We can have fun in this thing. And, And again, there's still life to be lived. You can still go and get that education. You can still get that financial um, upgrade that you want. You can still get that job that you want, regardless of what active addiction or recovery has has taught you or that society has taught you about active addiction or just being a person in recovery. Listen, here at YPR, the Houston, Texas chapter, we're going to celebrate you through every level that you are, and we're going to make this thing as fun as possible. And so those are my goals for my community here in Houston, Texas, and for my my chapter on top of being a huge advocate for collegiate recovery programs. I want to get those 17 to 21 year olds that are fresh into into the, the, the game that, you know, aren't as knowledgeable or privy to to what these type of um, active addictions may lead to and, and things of that nature. So definitely the stigma, the fun and the re, the collegiate recovery advocacy are, are what is being focused on here in my community. Dana Shell, you do such an incredible job of engaging your community in really creative, fun ways uh, to recover, you know, and I think that is a big uh, stigma for folks experiencing addiction, a barrier to entering into recovery is people don't know how to enjoy life. And I just love and appreciate everything that you are doing down there in Houston. Uh, keep it up. It's exciting. It's fresh. It's, it's fun and it's funky. And yeah, you're just, you're doing an incredible job down there. All right. Uh, thank you, Dean, Michelle, and Mackenzie. And absolutely, totally to reiterate Candace's remarks, um, you know, Workout Wednesdays from Dean, Michelle's Houston chapter is always virtual as well, if anyone wants to join those. So I wanted to ask um, uh, Mark actually the same kind of question, because Mark, you're working at more of the macro level. And I know that when you've worked at sort of the micro level that these women have worked at as well uh, previously, but so so what, how is, how is essentially the goals for the community changed as you've moved up to this uh, level uh, with OBH in Colorado? Uh, are the goals still the same as what they were, you know, when you were um, uh, working in social work or is it now, uh, is it kind of in alignment with what the goals were that the girls were talking about, about reducing stigma, um, moving from punishment and so on? Got to get that mute button. Sorry. Um, yeah, you know, there's there's not a, a huge change. Um, it, it's different, as you said, that I may not be the person that's individually kind of connecting, um, but it, it is about creating the opportunities for that. Uh, when I, you take a look at, you know, how important are our allies or friends uh, on someone's experience with recovery, uh, a strong support system like safe housing, a decent job, friends and our family, they're instrumental to helping people recover. Um, and we see that the people that have better support systems do better in recovery. So what that means is we need to make sure those supports um, are there and we build those up. 
when they're lacking for individuals, uh, making sure that there's a good recovery uh, environment uh, in every community in Colorado. And, and that's, um, that's really going to be with people, right? Uh, peer support is huge, um, but, uh, but advocates and allies are another piece of it. So anyone can kind of help someone on that recovery journey. A lot of times addiction is described as the absence of connection, um, it's isolation. So that means recovery requires the opposite. It requires connection. Friends and family can provide that essential support that we all need to feel connected. Um, offer an option beyond further isolation and the substance that fills the void in people's life. Um, one of the things I learned back in social work school was this simple equation. Trauma plus isolation equals pain and suffering. Uh, it'd be great if we can reduce the trauma that people face in life. Um, but once they've experienced it, the path to reducing pain and suffering is to reduce, reduce the isolation. So my role in a more administrative um, function now is, is to create as many opportunities for, for healthy connection uh, to support people. Thank you, Mark. Uh Great answer. I just want to let the audience know too, I have the privilege of getting to work alongside Mark with a HRSA grant, uh, the Southwest Colorado Opioid Overdose Prevention Consortium. And we are working on developing a strategic plan to bring some recovery resources to rural communities in Colorado. So yeah, it's a privilege to work with you. And I'm, I'm so happy that you've joined us today. Uh, looking forward to kind of sharing more of your knowledge with our audience. Uh, I do want to hop back over to our our allies, our boots on the ground, so to speak, because um, one thing that I've noticed in my role, uh, I've worked as a peer recovery coach, you know, and working with YPR is uh, the people impacted by substance use disorder. Uh, not the people experiencing it, but the family members, the friends, they often come to me looking for resources. And I know that there's not a ton. Um, so with, you know, I'm, I'm in a different community than you are, Mackenzie, in the South Bend area or Dina Shell in Houston. Um, what are some of the biggest barriers that you experience in your role as an ally in this recovery movement? I'll speak on this first. Um, one of the, the biggest barriers that I've experienced is, um, is again, people assuming that um, being an ally in recovery or someone who is a recovery support coach is supposed to, to look a certain way or, or sound a certain way, or dress a certain way. Um, and the rejection from people who have been in the game so long that that has come with this um, attitude and approach that I have with my chapter of wanting to make sure that people are also having fun and, and wanting to make sure that people are also learning um, to love themselves. Uh, I teach yoga and like other holistic healing things and, and mindfulness and stuff like that. And that looks like something, um, I guess, 
cute or like cookie cutter ish. And people are looking at me like, oh, you, you don't know, you don't, you don't have enough experience to come in and tell us that, you know, this is, is what we should be doing in the recovery realm. However, with sticking, with sticking to that, it was sticking to trying to um, lessen the, the stigma of what recovery looked like, what it sounded like, what the process should be like. I have been received by so many individuals in the Houston, Texas recovery community that's like, okay, this is exactly what we need over here for these groups of people. While the rejection from people who want to stick with the same type of of models and the same um, kind of like 12 step process of things um, are are rejecting this this new um, holistic method of recovery and um, fun and recovery and things like that. So those, those have been like some of the barriers that I've been just dealing with and trying not to take personal because (laughs) I'm human. (laughs) And so, yeah, I'll go ahead and pass it over to Mackenzie. Yeah, I definitely relate to what Dean Michelle is saying. I think this is a really big question. Um, I definitely have been self-conscious. Um, I've never had explicit um, pushback from anyone, but I've definitely been self-conscious about like, I don't know, am I the person for this? Is this person going to receive my message or like what support or services from me? Um, but I think that's, it, it, it's hard because I've, thought the same thing in certain rooms like I've been in um I've been in group therapy with people who I didn't think that I related to I've been in Al-Anon rooms with people who were 40 50 years older than me and I thought oh I don't know if I'm gonna get anything out of this but ultimately I did and I always learned things from people and really appreciated people even if they weren't a lot like me, even if they didn't have the exact same experiences as me. So I think um, when I remind myself of that and then remind myself of the fact that I'm, you know, I'm passionate and I'm doing the work and I'm educating myself, um, that's a good reminder for me. And I've also gotten messages from family members as well. I think I think it's natural for family members and friends and other allies of people in recovery to feel more comfortable with me and reach out to me. I've gotten really good responses from those people. And that, that also makes me feel good, even though it's not the most immediate group of people that we serve. um, I still think it's really helpful. As you were saying, Candace, there's not a lot of resources for um, people affected by uh, substance use specifically. So I don't know, to be, to be a support for allies too is really rewarding for me because when I was, you know, a teenager or a child and needed that, I didn't have it. So um, that's been important to me as well. Yeah, thanks ladies. I, I appreciate that you touched on the fact that um, there's been instances where you maybe feel a little out of place in this space. Um, it's, some, it's a theme that I've heard in my work with within the recovery movement um, from the people experiencing substance use disorder. Uh, when I worked as a peer recovery coach, 
often people are like, it's so nice to be able to talk to somebody that has lived experience. Uh, I'm the biggest advocate for therapists because I tell you what, I mean, people working in social work and behavioral health, they didn't get in, into it for the money. You know, there's usually some sort of tie that they have to uh, experiences through family or friends that motivated them to get in the work. And I think what's really important about what allies can do is um, behavioral health professionals have some ethical considerations where they can't really disclose um, a lot of their experience with substance use or mental health as it relates to um, their personal lives. Um, and allies, kind of, they don't have that barrier and they're able to share their experience and get that buy-in from the community that you're trying to reach. Um, I think it's something that's really important that needs to be addressed and talked about and advocated for because yeah, people that have been impacted by addiction that don't experience it have a lot to offer to this movement. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm really hopeful that we'll see changes in that lane with regard to people just opening up and accepting help from our allies so, yeah, thank you for touching on that. Yeah, and I just wanted to add that also um, I'll have leadership team members as well who are um, people in recovery, um, in long-term recovery. So I think having both of those pieces of people who are allies and then people who are have actually experienced substance use disorder and who are in long-term recovery um, I think the combination really, you know, you're able to to help more people in more ways with a combination. I, I can totally relate Mackenzie and Dina Shell as an ally working uh, for this organization YPR for the last few years. Um, you definitely feel as though that you don't have that life experience, but then you're always constantly reminded by uh, your coworkers and people in recovery that allies are needed to be part of these organizations because we can still reach more people um, and share the message of allies uh, of those in recovery that there are ways that people can recover. And um, so I was actually thinking about this question while you guys were talking for Mark. Um, and we talk about it all. We, this is what the whole podcast is about, is about allies. And so I wanted to know from Mark's perspective, uh, how can I, or how can someone be an ally uh, to to someone in recovery? Uh, well, first and foremost, showing up, um, not needing to talk in hushed tones about it. It's almost like, you know, we, we treat addiction kind of like uh, when I was growing up, the C word, you know, you couldn't say cancer, right? Well, you, there's so much stigma around addiction that um, you know, we're uncomfortable talking about it. So being, showing up, not need, not needing to talk in hushed tone. It's hard since we may not know what to say. Um, one of the things that our office did around this very issue is, um, is, is, is work with some partners to, to develop what we call the recovery cards project. It offers greeting cards and they can be digital or actual old style in the mail um, cards they give affirming messages of support. Most of the cards are made by artists either in recovery or close to someone in recovery, allies. Um, anyone across the country can access the website at recoverycardsproject.com. It does include downloadable digital cards. Um, it's a nice way to let people know that you see them, 
and that you're there for them. It lets them know you are a supportive person they can talk to about their recovery journey. Again, uh, addiction is about isolation. And so often some of the shame um, and the sense that nobody understands where I'm coming from can have someone on their recovery journey feel even more isolated. I don't have my old using friends. I haven't necessarily engaged with this. Some of my other friends um, that don't necessarily understand my addiction, that, that's a great way to open the door to say that I may not understand, but I want to learn and that I'm here for you. Um, so check it out. I think it'd be a great resource for anyone to, to look at. Thanks, Mark. I, I have actually checked those out before and we'll definitely put those uh, the link in our description for the show notes here so people can see that. Um, really appreciate that. Candice? Yeah, I think that's such a cool project. And I mean, the simplicity of it too, you know, uh, just sending a positive affirmation to somebody to let them feel seen. Um, you know, I think people experiencing addiction, we feel so isolated, like we touched on a little bit before that, you know, something as simple as a card and plus like, who doesn't love getting nice mail? Like we're always like inundated with bills in the mail or like flyers of things that we don't want to buy. So (laughs) being able to get something in the mail, uh, that's personal, um, just what a great idea. I'm curious though, how, how do you all go about finding the artist for that project? Uh, well, we, we've uh, kind of put the word out through the recovery community in Colorado. Um, when we've done it, we've worked with a company uh, that's kind of helped us on a lot of our anti-stigma work. And so that recruitment, you know, we really, we really worked through the networks of, of people in recovery to, to kind of find, find those artists, find those messages and bring them together. Um, and and that, even that part of the process, um, you know, the outcome's amazing. We love the quality of the cards, but the process of how we really engaged with people, um, and to see the, their excitement and being a part of this process, um, that may be just as rewarding as, as, uh, how well they're being received and, and being used. That's amazing. I, I'm a big fan of that project. So yeah. Kudos, kudos to, that's an Office of Behavioral Health project, right? Or outside of it? Yeah, we, uh, our office funded it. Uh, We were able to use some of the state opioid response grant. Actually, I don't know if it's that or the previous one, but the federal grants address the opioid crisis. Um, But again, this is a great opportunity. It doesn't matter what substance might someone might be struggling with. These cards are, are um, can can help with anybody, right? So uh, that was that was one of our big um, focal points was to say stigma is a barrier, right? It's a barrier for people to ask for help. Um, unfortunately, it's a barrier for people to get the right type of help. That there's so many different pathways to recovery. That you know, using medication or therapy or peer support, there's a lot of different pathways, and we want to make sure every pathway um, is open to people, is valid, is appreciated, and so lots of different ways to reduce stigma. But that that green cards program is just one of the things that I think we're most proud of. Yeah, fantastic. And again, yeah, kudos to Office of Behavioral Health for putting together such a, a thoughtful and creative project. Um, and as in terms of uh, resources for allies to be supportive, you know, that's like low hanging fruit. Um, and 
you know, I kind of want to like dig a little bit more into resources for individuals impacted uh, by substance use, you know, from the, from the outside looking in, wanting to help the people that they care about enter into a sustained recovery. So I know we've got people on the call from all over the United States and Mark, you're in Colorado, um, but can you, you know, fill us in on some of the resources available in Colorado for those folks? So for family and friends specifically? Yeah, exactly. Great. Yeah, this is, um, you know, one of the other things that we've tried to do, um, because people often don't know um, how to offer help. Uh, So certainly knowing about treatment and recovery resources in your state is important. So uh, every state's a little bit different, but the federal government, uh, Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration, they have a treatment locator tool that helps find uh, credible treatment provider agencies to help you help your family or friends. Um, Another approach is to educate yourself on substance use and and get support yourself. Um, One model that we love in Colorado, uh, it's an evidence-based practice. It's called the Community community Reinforcement Approach Family Therapy, or CRAFT for short. Um, This is a group for the family members or friends of a loved one who's struggling with substance use disorder. Uh, I'm sure a lot of people have seen the old school shows Intervention. Um, this, this has a little more evidence behind uh, this approach. Um, it gives school, uh, it gives tools and resources to, to family members or friends of someone who's struggling with an active addiction to kind of help them understand what their loved one's going through and understand how to provide support. Um, and it, uh, it provides people with accurate information and, and tools to support that loved one. Um, what it's, what's nice about it, um, we've, is, is that it's really effective at helping people get into treatment. Um, that's, that's, I think, the encouraging part is, is that it not only gives the family member some information and knowledge so that they uh, kind of feel um, better prepared to support their loved one, um, but it actually leads to people starting that path to recovery. Um, we've got over 20 active weekly groups of craft in Colorado. A lot of them are being offered remotely. Um, so even with COVID restrictions loosening or tightening up, depending on what's going on in the world or in your neck of the woods, uh, remote services are going to continue to be available. Um, it certainly helped us to reach people who may not live close to in-person uh, an in-person group. So craft model has shown great success in helping those um, who attend to get their loved one taking that step um, towards recovery. Hi, Mark. I just want to check, is the craft model, is that um, something that was developed only for Colorado or is it something based on a national model that's been adapted? Oh, yeah. It's it's a national model and we we uh, implemented it with Fidelity. So we've uh, it's based off of the, the CRA, Community Reinforcement, which is uh, a therapeutic approach that's used to help, help people with addiction that's also evidence-based. Uh, so it's a counseling approach. Um, but the family therapy piece was desi- was designed for the family members as, as to, to give them the tools and resources and speak some of the lang- same language that someone going through counseling might might be getting. Uh, so it's a national uh, recognized model that we said, yeah, we're really smart in Colorado, but one of the things we're best at is our R&D. And by R&D, I mean rip off and duplicate. Like when you can find something that's working, 
grab it, right? Use it. So that's what we've done in Colorado. And we've, we, we've made sure that everybody that's, that's facilitating, uh, has been trained to do it the right way. Um, and, uh, and it's been really exciting. I mean, it's been a roller coaster, right? For the last year and a half with COVID. Um, but being able to see that, um, not just, Treatment services have stayed open, but but this type of craft stayed open. We were able to quickly move. And we found through this that, hey, we're able to reach more people um, through remote. So as we're getting back to in-person, that's great. A lot of people need need that kind of connection through that way. Um, but at least we've we found another way to reach some people that might live further away too. That's really that's really interesting. Um, sorry, Candace, did you want to sneak next? Oh, no. I mean, I'm just, I'm really excited about craft. Uh, I had the opportunity to take a train the trainer class. It was an expedited two day version of craft. And I was preparing to um, develop a program here in Durango. But then I got offered an opportunity with young people in recovery. And I just haven't had the bandwidth to be able to do that. Um, But I just wanted to highlight there's um, at the time of the training, and I think this is still accurate. There's, there's four, main goals of the program. And it's, you know, understanding how to communicate positively to the person that you're hoping will enter into recovery. Um, I mean, communication is huge. And I think that that's one of the biggest things with, you know, loved ones. It's, it's, there's a lot of uh, pain there. And so sometimes the loved one with best intentions is communicating in a way that's not being received well, and it's creating barriers for the person to want to enter into. So it's learning how to communicate positively, learning how to use positive reinforcement, um, you know, rather than like punitive. Uh, So reinforcing folks for the positive decisions that they're making. Um, And then, you know, taking steps towards developing an awareness of what it means to take care of yourself. I think something that gets overlooked in this field of, you know, working in recovery or working with individuals with substance use disorder is uh, that can be really taxing. And, you know, Dina Shell talked a little bit earlier about taking things personal when uh, things aren't working out how you intended. Um, And it really has nothing to deal with you as it does the person uh, on the other end. So learning, I love how craft implements that self-care piece Um, and, you know, as we kind of like dig into self-care, I did want to chat with our, our allies, um, Mackenzie and Dina Shell, like what are, what are some things that you do to practice self-care while you're working in this field? Yeah, definitely. I love that craft has a self-care piece. I, wish that I had gone through something like that. And maybe I still can get, get some training in that, but yeah, self-care is huge. Um, and as you said, Candace, there's a lot of pain there. Um, when you are close to someone, um, in active addiction. So yeah, there's a lot of, for me, um, in the past and currently a lot of therapy. Um, if you can access therapy, highly, highly recommend it. Um, I preach therapy to everyone. Um, so yeah, no one's surprised I'm saying therapy, uh, journaling as well. Journaling has been huge for me. Um, there are times when I don't want to do it, but I know that it will 
help me in the long run. It's been very therapeutic for me. Um, writing letters to myself, my past self, future self, writing letters to other people, whether you send them or not, has been very helpful. Um, and then also, uh, you know, removing yourself from situations when you need to, whether it's something like going on a walk or like fully removing yourself from a situation in a certain way. Um, yeah. And then also just fun. Like we have YPR has the whole fun component for people in recovery. And if you are, you know, working the space or just are a friend or a family member, like you having fun is also important. So my version of fun is often reading or listening to podcasts like this one. So that's some of the things that I would recommend. Nice, Mackenzie. It sounds like you've got a pretty good little uh, system in place for taking care of yourself. Um, and and Dina Shell, um, I know you. You even take it to the next level. You've been sort of immersing yourself in some self care trainings lately. Uh, yes, ma'am. Do, do you want to share a little bit about what you've been diving into to you know learn how to take care of yourself and also educate other people how to take care of themselves when working in this space? Um, Absolutely. So I am naturally a creative arts therapist. Um, I teach dance for for healing and dance for fitness and things like that. I'm also a meditation instructor, a yoga instructor. Um, I affirm, teach affirmations and things like that. So I dive into that daily. Um, also, with being an ally in recovery, I have come across some some knowledge and some resources on compassion fatigue. And so I'm building off of that so that I can continue to teach compassion, show myself compassion and the people around me as well. Um, I'm hoping to really have this compassion fatigue workshop for young people in recovery organization and just everyone else in the recovery community because it is so necessary to know when to pull back. It is so necessary to know when to take a moment to just breathe for yourself, to know that you can't take on the world no matter how super you feel. (laughs) Self-care is not selfish. It is a priority. And that is, is one of those things that I'm truly learning and truly invested in. I will shut down every computer, every phone, every conversation to take care of my mental health first, because I know if I am not well mentally, I am not well physically nor spiritually, and I can't pour into you what I don't have to pour into myself. And so that is why I continue to to grow in in self-care and to output that to my community, because you got to love yourself. You have to no matter how much you love something else or someone else, if you love yourself first, you can help yourself first and you can help those around you as well. And so that is, that is my spiel of self-care and and what I'm doing (laughs) to continue to just grow and and share that with the people around me. Yeah. I just want to echo what Dina Shell said yes to all of that. And I want (laughs) to add that like when you're in like, a dark place or like a a dark situation it might be like you might think like like how is meditation gonna help me how is a walk gonna help me how is journaling or therapy gonna help me but like they're cliche for a reason and like everyone recommends them for a reason and I just really would encourage anyone 
even if you're in a like a tough spot where it seems like none of these things might help like routine helps and practice helps yeah absolutely because you can be in the darkest space and a freaking affirmation is not going to pull you out of that getting up to do a deep breathe is not going to do any of that um i also work out because i am a very physical person so i know that when i'm stressed or anything like that if i go and and run or or hit a punching bag or anything like that. And I also share that with the people around me, do something physical. Okay. Because it, it changes the, the chemical in our brain to make us become more aware of, of what we're dealing with and how to manage it better. No, it's not going to pull you from that dark hole that, that something else put you into, but it's going to slowly and surely help with the process. Amen. <laughs> Amen. I know I'm uh, the listeners can't see it, but I'm staring at my bicycle behind me because I, that's my self-care number one, kind of echoing you, Dean, Michelle, I <laughs> hop on that bike and I, you know, as soon as you start riding for a few miles, you start to zone out or you start to just focus on all the things going on in your life. And I think that's such an important part of, uh, of our life is kind of reflecting and all these uh, rituals that we do are ways in which we can, reflect on what we're thinking and and what's going on so i think it's 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 definitely that self-care is becoming more and more important in our industry and i think it's you know it's clear that it's becoming important in society uh more so than probably 20 years ago i mean yeah well thank you dean michelle and thank you mckenzie what's happening in the olympics (laughs) yeah that was really uh, beautiful to see, actually. And then to see uh, Simone come back uh, yeah. and get the bronze. Um, Self-care first, period. Absolutely. Okay, so I wanted to kind of open up um, uh, t- uh, back to Mark. Um, and, you know, we've, we've been talking about self-care and we've been talking about some of the challenges um, but one of the questions that we had for you is what about some of the common mistakes that people make when that they, that they make when they're attempting to support, uh, their loved ones, uh, who are experiencing uh, substance use disorder or addiction? Well, thanks. And ag- again, um, to the panelists, like great job on the self-care piece. And that's certainly related to this. Um, so, you know, the first, first common mistake is, is forgetting to kind of put your own mask on before you help someone else. So make sure that self-care piece kind of comes front and center. I think the other piece would be, um, just as there's many past recovery, um, there isn't a single way to support a friend or family member. Um, one thing that could be helpful is to ask them what they need and how you can support them. Um, we're, we're all experts in our own lives, even those who on the outside appear to be struggling. So applying a solution that makes sense for you might not make sense for them. So give yourself some grace. um, And when when they know you have their best interests in mind, it's gonna be meaningful. So again, be present, put yourself out there. Um, That's that's the first part. Um, But sometimes the mistake that you see is um, I saw somebody, you know, or I know the best way for you to get into recovery. I know what you need to do. Um, be present, listen, 
um, and, and give them the opportunity to, to let you, um, to guide you and how best to support them. I think that's uh, such a beautiful take on it because, you know, as an ally, it's definitely one of those things. And I'm sure Mackenzie and Dean Shell can relate to where you've probably Googled it quite a few different times. What can I do as an ally to help people? And no one ever puts it that simply. Um, and I think that lesson of put your mask on first before you, uh, well, in your words, listen and find out what they need is the most important. You know, like you said, as a uh, person who works with volunteers, I constantly tell volunteers to put their recovery first uh, before anything else and to never let the work um, overtake their lives. Uh, sorry, Mackenzie. Yeah, Mark, feel free to comment on this if I'm wrong, but um, I've come to believe that one way to be helpful might be to um, let people know, like you said, like let people know that you're a safe person to talk to and then just be the person, be a person that someone knows they can come to like when they're ready because I think sometimes often people aren't necessarily ready for recovery when like you are ready for them to be in recovery um so just being that person that they can reach out to and they can initiate the relationship with I think is important yes yeah. And again, asking, asking me if, if it's right. <laughs> um, I don't necessarily have any magic answer for that. And your truth is, sounds pretty darn good to me. Um, yeah, it's, it's being present, it's being available. And, and I think that's, you know, I think you hit on a key piece there of um, there's a balance, right? Um, you know, in the olden days, you'd hear the word enabling, you're enabling their addiction. Um, and there's a fine line between um, you know, not enabling and, and being a jerk, right? So like, we want to make sure we can have healthy boundaries for ourselves. That's the whole part about like, I'm going to make sure I'm getting oxygen before I try to help you, right? Um, that that self-care piece. Um, so it doesn't mean that you give that person, uh, um, you know, $100 every time they ask when you know they might be using it for, for things that aren't really great, right? But it does mean that saying like, I'm going to be here when you're ready. And, and the benefit of not being seen as overly judgmental and overly pressuring that they're not, they're not walking the recovery path as fast as you'd like them to be is that they will be ready to talk to you or they might be less comfortable talking to someone that they're, that they're going to perceive is going to be overly judgmental. So that posture, that position of I'm here, I'm ready and I'm ready to listen, um, I think is, is perfect. Uh, and as long as you're paying attention to your safety, your self-care, um, I think you're going to be okay. So I'd like to add to what the three of you are saying, um, especially because I've learned something recently through an um, invitation to change and leadership training for uh, allies in recovery. And one of the things that has stuck out to me in this training is that as allies, we are helpers and we want to help the way that we want to help. And we want the help to be received when we offer the help, how we offer it. And so with that, um, I've learned that helping is a process 
that includes understanding behavior and motivation. The behavior and motivation doesn't have to make sense to us, but we have to understand the behavior and motivation as it makes sense to the individual that we're trying to help. Um, we have to, helping as a process also includes developing self-awareness and self-compassion because we can be so hard on ourselves as helpers that now I'm so upset that you didn't receive this help. I'm so upset that I didn't offer the help the way I should have, even though I didn't know how to offer it other than how I offered it in that moment. So just having that, that self-awareness and that, that self-compassion for ourselves as helpers is a part of the process of helping and being that ally. Also, in, um, communicating in ways that encourages change, not, hey, you need to get some help. But, hey, I'm here for you, as Mark said, as McKenzie said, I'm here for you whenever you're ready, you know, for that help um, is, is a part of that communicating in ways that encourages change, not encourages the person to shut down or or not to to utilize you as someone who can help them. And also just creating conditions for long term positive change, as we do, you know, at YPR with our all recovery meetings, with our pro socials is just encouraging and creating those those communications and those conditions for long term positive change, not um, again, being those helpers that are like, hey, you need to get this help right now. And, and, and instead that could could cause a adverse reaction to where now they don't have any help. And now the only comfort that they can find is in whatever substance that they've been finding it in. And so I just wanted to share that helping is a process. And as helpers, we have to understand the process in order to be effective helpers and allies. Yeah, thank you, Dina Shell. Our, our listeners couldn't see, but as you started talking about, you know, us wanting to help people, how we think the help should be received. We're all sitting here shaking our heads because we understand <laughs> uh, we've seen it. Um, and, you know, I think kind of this, this last piece of the conversation, it's like, uh, there's so much power in validation. I think it, you know, I think it's human nature when we're presented with problems, we want to respond with solutions. solutions. And, and, you know, sometimes people, we, we know the solutions ourselves, you know, um, or the individual, they know what the solution is. They might not be ready to start taking action towards that solution, mm -hmm. but um, people don't always come to us, you know, wanting us to tell them what to do. In fact, that can be more harmful when we tell them how things should be done and what they need to do. Um, but just, you know, the power in somebody coming to you, telling you they're going through a hard time and just validating their feelings and sitting yeah. there with them um, can do so much for that person. Because again, going back to that theme of feeling seen, um, and feeling connected to another human, uh, something that they may not have experienced. Um, you know, I can say I am a person in recovery and I can say for every loved one and friend that came to me telling me what I should do and how I should do it, I wanted to prove them wrong and be like, oh yeah, <laughs> like, no, I can totally do this. I got it handled you guys. And like, you know, crash and burn and fail trying to show them that I could do it. <laughs> but, uh, um, so yeah, just, you know, uh, I read this book. It's a, it's like a three hour read. It's called, I hear you. And it's not even specific to substance use disorder, but it's just a book about, um, you know, developing healthy communication. And the biggest piece is that validation, like letting people know that you hear them, meet them where they're at. Um, 
in like Mark said earlier, like ask, ask them what they need and maybe they don't know and that's okay. But the fact that you're not telling them what they need is huge. Um, you know, uh, I do just want to say we are kind of coming up on time here. I think I had about 20 questions that I wanted to ask everybody and silly me for thinking we could get through all that. I'm like, we might just have to revisit this conversation again, uh, <laughs> at a later date. Uh, cause I think it's really important that the public be really educated around this whole concept of being an ally in recovery and how can you be an ally and what are the resources? So, um, you know, I, I really appreciate all of you that have made time to be here today. Um, I want to try to keep this kind of, uh, short if we can. Um, but I, I like to ask people at the end of the episodes, like what, recovery means to you. Um, but to kind of go along with the theme, um, you can answer that way if, it, if that works better for you, but I'd really like to ask you all, like, what does being an ally in recovery mean to you? Um, so, uh, we can either just kind of jump in if you have a response when you're ready. Um, or I can, or I can call you guys out. <laughs> I'm sorry. Don't call me out, girl. (laughs) (laughs) For me, being an ally, um, first and foremost, means breaking a generational curse. It means understanding the trauma of a child who experienced their parents and um, family um, struggle with substance use disorder and being able to be in the community as a person who understands and has more compassion for them just simply as as a human and not as somebody who is struggling with substance use disorder. It it means being able to bring all of me and my experiences um, as well as the knowledge that I have and is continuing to grow to a community that needs more people who don't look like one certain kind of way or who doesn't sound like a certain kind of way that have experienced, you know, other people on um, a a substance use disorder or on a recovery journey, as well as just the, the the simple knowledge to be able to tell them and show them, hey, you can heal, you can grow, you could still be exactly everything that you need to be for yourself and for the people around you regardless of, you know, where you are on that journey. And that is what being an ally in recovery means to me. Sorry if that was long, but. (laughs) Yeah, I'll go next. Um, Yeah, so being an ally, I literally wrote down taking care of yourself, main thing, and knowing that you can't control anyone else. It's that very, that very Al-Anon phrase of, I didn't create it. I can't control it. I can't cure it, that thing. It's very true. Um, So accepting that I think is important just for your own personal peace. Um, But then action wise to me, it's supporting people in their recovery efforts, whether it's driving people to meetings, going to meetings with them, listening to someone just talk to you, encouraging, you know, behaviors, sort of that positive reinforcement piece of it. Um, 
and then it also means just being really proud of people often I've noticed um, and celebrating their efforts and their um, their journeys sort of just watching yeah so being an ally to people in recovery for me is often just being people's cheerleader um you know on the sidelines clapping for them and watching them live their lives and heal and you know living their lives like dina shell said um and then also of course advocating for better policies and laws because sometimes that's a dumpster fire but yeah <laughs> yeah I'll take a stab at answering this one from a slightly different perspective. Um, you know, for me in my role in state government, um, you know, being an ally means uh, using my privilege, using my place of privilege to give voice, to, um, to kind of change uh, the way we've done things for years. Again, um, I think there's been an, you know, there's, there's been services and treatment for people with addiction for years. Um, and a lot of people that enter the field as therapists come because they have personal backgrounds uh, themselves, either in recovery or family members. Um, but being very deliberate to say treatment's not it, right? Recovery it, it is a lifetime. Um, and treatment may or may not be the first stop or a stop along the way for someone's path. And so, you know, using my privilege to say, how do we give voice to those people in recovery um, and, uh, and to expand what we do? So, in, you know, seeing that we invest in recovery community organizations, whether they be YPR or others um, that offer something else to support people uh, beyond just therapy. Um, that's an important piece to make sure that we give that, uh, give opportunities so that they get at the table with the big fish that are doling out the money, make those connections and relationships, uh, whether it's for an Oxford house or any other type of organization to say, we're going to make sure that we have, you know, good housing options and supported education and supported employment. It goes well beyond treatment. So for me as an ally in my role in state government, it's, it's using, using my privilege to make sure and to make sure that again, there's a lot of communities that we have struggled to reach. Um, and, and there's no doubt that we don't do as good a job at reaching out uh, to black, indigenous, people of color, to the LGBT community. Um, the, the suicide rates in the LGBT community, the substance use rates in that community are through the roof. Um, so what are we doing that's what can we do different and how do we reach out to that community? I'm not going to make decisions for them, but I need to engage those voices and have them educate me. And so I can be an ally to make sure I make space um, uh, to get those voices uh, at the table so that we can hopefully expand what we do to reach more people. Great answers, everybody. I really appreciate all that. Uh, I think that's going to be really valuable for our, our listeners to hear. So thank you. I'm, I'm, I was caught up in listening to everyone's great answers. Did you want me to to also share um, my thoughts on 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 what it means to be an ally for those in recovery? Uh, yeah, definitely. I mean, as you are co-host, but you are definitely a, an ally, and I think that your two cents is very valid. So let's hear it, Brendan. Well, 
when when I first learned about recovery just a few years ago, I you know obviously figured out that it was this process of essentially bettering oneself. Um, and I kept thinking about how everyone I know is sort of in recovery in some way, and allies especially, um, and and how that process, like Mark said, is is a lifetime, and how it's uh, that might seem like an epoch, you know, when you first probably enter recovery. For an ally, it's 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 almost that same daunting prospect of loving someone who's going to be entering recovery, knowing that you're going to be there to support them uh, until the end, um, and hopefully that they have a long and successful life. And so you know that every day will be a struggle in some way, that nothing will ever be 100% easy. But then you know that it never it never it's never easy for you anyways. Um, and that you're still working on your own battles with, you know, maybe self-awareness, maybe sticking to routines with staying healthy, um, and that you that you as an ally in recovery, loving someone in recovery, know that um, that that they're that basically your health and their health can become kind of intertwined at some point, and how you stay healthy, they stay healthy, and then they can support you when you're struggling with. Um, with supporting their recovery because you get challenged by, by the little things as well. So um, yeah, I just think as an ally, it's, it's, it's just the same amount. It can be almost the same amount of struggle, but you know, we can never forget, um, you know, how important it is that everyone recovers. So that's, that's my, my piece. Back to you, Candace. Thank you, Brendan. <laughs> Thank you everybody uh, for your, just very robust, thoughtful, thought-provoking responses. Um, I appreciate your answers. I'm sure all of our listeners do too. Um, And I want to make sure everybody kind of knows how to find y'all. So Mackenzie and Dina Shell, you're with Young People in Recovery. Real quick, do you just want to kind of plug again, where you're representing and how people can find you, um, whether social media or whatnot? Yeah. If you on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter search at YPR South Bend, you will find our chapter and you can follow us. And specifically for Facebook, you'll find the group and it'd be super helpful if you just join the group. Um, there's no questions or anything that you even have to answer. I'll automatically just accept you and you'll get to see all of our stuff. <laughs> That's good to know. We're not screening people to join our recovery community. That's real important. No, <laughs> we don't need any more barriers. We know enough of them exist right now that we're trying to break down. <laughs> exactly. Yes, I am Dina Shell in Houston, Texas. You guys can find us on YPR Houston, Texas Facebook page. Um, you can also find some of us <laughs> on uh, Instagram at a diamond in the rough dance academy, where I have intertwined my business and my chapter together because I do have a lot of people who come to the diamond rough dance academy who are coming from the recovery community and are looking for those recovery resources while getting fitness and, and meditation and yoga as well. So at a diamond in the rough underscore dance Academy on Instagram, as well as Facebook, YPR Houston, Texas. Thank you, Dina Shell. Thank you, Mackenzie. 
Uh, and just one last person I want to check in with, uh, Mark from Office of Behavioral Health. Um, how can people find some of the resources that you talked about or um, reach out to you or somebody within the organization that can help direct them if they so need it? Sure. I think, uh, you know, I could share um, a website with some resources uh, that you can kind of add to this later. Um, but, you know, we're the Colorado Office of Behavioral Health. If you Googled that, you could probably find us and, and, and our webpage has lots of resources, but I'll get you a direct link that you can share with people for sure. Awesome. Yeah. Email that to me. Uh, we always post show notes. Uh, so people, you know, from, from your app, see show notes and we'll have that uh, information on all the resources that we just talked about right now. Um, so yeah, fantastic discussion, everybody. Again, I appreciate you being here. Uh, we might have to do this again. Cause like I said, we had so many more questions I wanted to ask, but we are we've run out of time. So uh, I want to make sure to thank everybody listening for tuning in. Once again, I'm your host, Candace Rose. New episodes are available to stream every other Wednesday as early as 5 a.m. Eastern Time. You can join us next time on August 25th, where Shane Shooter Nelson joins me to discuss recovering in the wild. As always, here at YPR, we do recover and we are in your corner. Thanks for listening.